In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, amen. As a child, growing up in a house of many books, but little religious instruction, I was fascinated by our remnant collection of Bibles, mostly squirreled away in obscure corners of dusty shelves. We were like the statistically average American household that owns 3.6 Bibles per reader, but nobody ever reads them. Now, I wasn't quite sure how they came to be in my atheist parents' home. I actually still don't know, but they were fascinating to me. Their ceremonial leatherette covers, dense two-column type, and startling red letters suggested an entirely distinctive class of literature, which I was mostly confused by. But being a person with spatial imagination, I was intrigued by the maps. What was the deal with the maps? How come other books didn't have page upon page of full-color maps? It wasn't until much later that I learned to read the maps in conjunction with the biblical stories, and much later still that I learned the stories could not really be read without the maps. It's just not possible to understand the God who separated the sea from the dry land without reference to the historical places where people have been met and moved and called by God. We come from a tradition that takes seriously the earthly dwelling place of God and of God's people. The Bible is full of this, reminders of temples and conflicted holy places. Our sacred stories document those kind of geopolitical clashes that human societies continue to engage in, oppression, displacement, migration, border crossing, and occupation of foreign lands. And these processes are generally just as messy in the biblical tradition as they are in our times. Tribes and communities flee under duress, are met with hostility along the way, lands are occupied by colonial powers, and sometimes the migrants themselves become the colonists and oppressors. On this Independence Day weekend, it's good to remember that our elegant, if stressed, democracy was made possible in part because religious minorities displaced displaced from Europe settled on land belonging to indigenous peoples, and enslaved and indentured peoples built the infrastructure that connects us from sea to shining sea. Telling the truth about the ways our ancestors occupied this land need not diminish our celebration of our national holiday. We are Christians. We know how to practice repentance and gratitude at the same time. History is written by the victors, they say. That is, the ones who carry weapons into territorial battles and deploy handcuffs at the borders, which makes the story of Jesus' commissioning of the 70 quite astonishing. You might think of it as history written by the losers. 
Today's gospel finds Jesus resolutely bound for Jerusalem, the site of his own impending execution, but he pauses to send his followers unarmed and unprepared into hostile Samaritan territory. He instructed them to cross cultural boundaries, counting on nothing except the kindness of strangers. He was indeed sending them out as lambs among wolves. They were commissioned to bear the peace of Christ to their neighbors, which is, lest that lamb metaphor confuse us, far more fierce than fluffy. The peace of Christ is the biblical shalom. It is a peace that demands justice, the kind of peace that would call Roman colonial oppressors to account, the kind of peace that insisted on enemies sharing meals together, the kind of peace that even now calls us to use our power and our land for the good of the most vulnerable. This gospel is about us and about the ways that we too are sent out into the world as harbingers of Jesus Christ. For Luke, the number 70 was not accidental, it was a symbol for all of the nations of the world. So in Jesus' commissioning of the 70, we are supposed to hear 70 times 70 times 70 times 70 until the multiplication encompasses all of us. Because the truth is that following Jesus requires all of his disciples to move in heart, if not in location. Yesterday morning at the crack of dawn, our Cuernavaca-bound youth and their chaperones departed for a week of international service. A reminder that sometimes Jesus' followers are literally sent out as missionaries. But most of the time, our commissioning doesn't actually require that we travel, and that's a good thing. It's painful to be uprooted from home and family and familiar land, as any of the refugees and asylum seekers at our borders would attest. But the gospel makes it clear that home is not built on the weapons with which we defend our land, nor by the walls at our borders, but through the peace that we bear and the good news that we practice every single day in every single place. And for we who number ourselves among the universal 70, Jesus offers some pretty specific instructions about what to do. Go into the world vulnerably. Ask for what we need, even when it's uncomfortable. And if the people to whom we're sent cannot receive our gifts, let us wipe the dust off our shoes and go our way. That is to say, we don't have to let other people hold God's peace hostage. And we don't have to take rejection personally either because it's not about us. We can trust God to do God's work. But irrespective of outcomes, the discipline of traveling vulnerably in the world changes us. We start to notice who else in our community travels vulnerably, who has the humility to ask for food and a place to stay. 
Which leads me to wonder, in what way might they be bearing the peace of Christ to us? Because you know, that's the marching orders we've all been given, migrant and missionary alike, that we go in peace, that we receive the hospitality of those who are compassionate enough or brave enough to host us, that we remain with them and heal them as God gives us the power to do so and assure them that God is near, which is generally the most healing gift we can ever give each other. Larry, who works at the Safeway checkout counter, knows he's been sent to heal. I was waiting in a long line last weekend and was blessed to see him do his work. A woman with a significant mobility impairment was in line ahead of me and nothing was moving very fast. And Larry gave her a huge smile and began to banter with her like she was his long-lost best friend. No matter that the harried Friday shopping crowd was getting restless, no matter that he was black and she was white, everything about his encounter with her suggested that she was in that moment the most important person in the world. When I asked him about it or observed uh, uh, or remarked upon it, remarked about his kindness and compassion, he said to me, I'm a healer. Who has brought healing, peace, and good news to you? We may find ourselves sent to Cuernavaca or to this checkout line, but equally in all the places we are sent, we are called to hear good news in that uncomfortable way that a Samaritan might hear it from a Jewish follower of Jesus who's come asking for room and board. But in order to exercise that kind of radical hospitality of the heart, I would say, that, that openness to God's peace that may come to us from migrants and strangers, we may have to draw some new maps to widen our real and perceived boundaries so that we don't miss the bearers of good news who are already present at the periphery and amidst us. How will you bring healing and good news to others? <laughs> Today I'm going to leave church a little bit early. Don't look for me at the door because I will be racing across town from here to preach and lead the bilingual service at Saints Peter and Paul at noon. I confess that this is really more about bad calendar management on my part <laughs> than about any intention to be a faithful apostle. I agreed to do this many months ago before I had any idea that I was preaching this Sunday or what our readings would be. But you know what? I'm not sorry about it. I'm grateful for the Spanish speakers who will welcome my ministry, grateful to this connective Episcopal community that gives us opportunities to bear good news to each other and to be good news to each other, to receive peace and healing from each other in a time that Lord knows we desperately need love, love that crosses real and perceived boundaries. Who will be your St. Peter's and Paul this week? I honestly don't know, but I, th know, I think that God knows. I suspect that you will hear your commission whenever in those moments 
When you find your head and heart at odds with each other, you choose to follow your heart. Go your way then, followers of Jesus. Preach good news at all times, sometimes using words. Let your love so shine before others that they may see it and give glory to God. Amen.